You have returned to Deep A Little Deeper. Yeah. It's great to have you with us. And uh, we're returning with our great friend and special guest, Shane Willard. None other than. And we're excited for it. It's going to be so good. And it, It's great to have you, Shane. Say hello. Oh, it's yeah. great to be here with you guys. Come on. And <laughs> nothing like three good mates just sitting around, you know, having a chat about meaningful things. Love or it. sometimes not so meaningful. Yeah. That's true. Just funny, entertaining. Things that bring joy. Come on. Let's yeah. talk about that. And before we get there, hey, this is this is not the end. This is not the last one. So make sure wherever you consume the content, subscribe like whatever the function of that particular service is so that you can stay on the journey a part of the conversation that's my advertising done let's jump into awesome it. okay well where we left off last week uh we were about to cross over thoughts we've been talking about hallowing the name and what that is to to you know be inspired to 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 let the breath of god move you to do great things in the earth and change the lives of others and um, and where we ended up on that was, you know, there's a there's a way of also profaning the name, and and we talked a little bit about um, depression and and maybe not being motivated in life. I think where we started to transition, we started to talk about actually about motivation and what mm. motivates us and what keeps us pushing forward and reaching out and being alive and. Um, I've, we've heard you mention a, a particular concept around the sacred object a number yep. of times, Shane, and we just love to go there. Like, what is the sacred object thing? Well, you know, let, let's let's state it simply, and then let's uh, dig into what that concept is. So, um, the simplest way to say it is is to keep the fire of desire moving in your life, like to keep the motivation to use your breath correctly um, requires that your why or your cause has to always trump the what or the object of your desire right mm -hmm. so so to state it simply um, desire is a function of two things object desire and object cause and actually object cause is what is the fire behind behavior um, not object desire. Mm -hmm. Object desire, simply put, is that what you want. So I want a truck um, as an example. So as example, an object desire is any object you want. Um, the object cause is the struggle or the process or the cause that you have to go through in order to obtain said object desire. Now, the, the, all meaning in life is interpreted as a function of the object cause, the process to get there, and not simply attaining the object desire. Mm -hmm. This is why creating a scenario where we get everything we want all the time with no cause, that would be hell, not heaven. And mm -hmm. as an aside, um, you know, for the last... Oh, 70, 80 years or so, um, evangelicals have done their best effort to ruin the compulsion and the compelling nature of heaven by making it one, static, to a place where you get everything you want all the time with no kind of cause or, or struggle or, or process by which to attain it. Well, if you think about the psychological implications of that, to, to be in a place where you did not have to to have any cause, you just got what you wanted all the time, anytime, every time, that would be hell, not heaven. Mm. Uh, just, it would just, it would drive you mad with, with boredom. And the reason is, is because all meaning is interpreted as a function of the process to get something, not simply attaining something. Mm -hmm. So if you get the truck, the interpreted meaning of that said truck is not found in the truck. It's found in the memories 
stories of I sacrificed this, yeah. I did that. Hey, I test drove this. I had this experience here. Um, the same thing. If you have a good marriage, the, the end of a good marriage is is not all oh, we have a good marriage. It's actually sitting there over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or whatever your beverage of choice is and, and, and having memories of, hey, remember we went through that? Mm-hmm. Remember we went through, remember wow. we navigated that? Yeah, remember that? Yeah. And so, so the, the perceived meaning in a marriage is in the memories of the cause, mm. um, which is ultimately for a follower of Christ to allow your marriage to be the dynamic progressive revelation of what God looks like to our world. Mm. This is what mm. treating someone as they are worth and not as they deserve looks like every single day. So, right. so that would be the, that would be the cause. And so the lie in it, it actually finds its roots um, early. It's the first, as far as I know, it's the, yeah, I'm just thinking of something. It's the first lie told in scripture mm. and, and in scripture it's told by a talking snake. Now, However you read Genesis, I don't really mind, but you would have to admit that when an author makes the talking snake, the, <laughs> the, the noun that is telling, the, the, the character that's telling the lie is a talking snake is a really big literary way of saying this is a big flipping lie, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and he tells two lies, actually, the talking snake does. He says, um, even though you're one with God, it's better to be like God, which was a lie mm-hmm. actually told, tells three lies so even though you're one with god it's better to be like him and the reason you're you're aware that you're not like god is because there's this external object it's a piece of fruit and the reason god has forbidden this piece of fruit is because he knows if you eat the piece of fruit you'll be like god and that's going to irritate him you can't do that so that's the second lie. And the third lie is that you can navigate your life well by getting right and wrong perfect knowledge of good and evil that's and that just is not true and so and so at at the most base layer that there's a lot of things going on here but at the most base layer here's the lie that there's something outside of you that if you just could get it it would make you feel less lack wow and the philosophical word for that is the lie of the sacred object the lot go ahead sorry can i just jump in there? please yeah mate that is what about 98% 98% of the whole marketing industry mm. and sales industry is predicated on. Yes. Here is a phone. You, you won't be complete without the latest piece of technology, the right shirt, mm. the right shoes. The, yes. Like you're just talking about a multi-trillion dollar industry that thrives yep. in our world, pointing out our lack. Yes, it goes like this. Do you feel lack? Of course, Everybody watching it except a narcissist goes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, if, if, if you just had the big truck, it, it doesn't matter that it's an $1,100 a month car payment with 8% interest on something losing 50% of its value. It solves a bigger problem than your financial piece you're going to trade for it. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the lie of the mm-hmm. sacred object. Mm-hmm. Um, so all marketing, like, that's why actually as a it's kind of a tangent, but um, I think sometimes we have to be careful with our worship music because what happens is, is, is people's lives every day is filled with worship music as defined by sacred objects that you feel lack. But if you give this its proper place, you'll feel less lack, Mm -hmm. whether it's the Ford, whether it's the girl, whether it's the, it's just whatever. Hey, if you have that shirt, you get the chick. If you don't have that shirt, you don't get the chick and you need the chick to feel better. Right. So Mm -hmm. it just goes something like that. And so we have to be very careful presenting God as God is a sacred object, um, that Mm -hmm. God is this thing outside of you 
um, that if you you're kind of forbidden from him, but if you could just if you just get a little bit, um, mm-hmm. uh, it would make you feel less lack. And then people get disoriented and disillusioned with faith because that's that's actually not how God works. Mm-hmm. God is the anti-sacred object. So so the first lie in Scripture is, hey, there's this thing outside of you that if you just if, that 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 kind of internal knowing that you're missing something, it's found in this piece of fruit. And and the story is quite boring, actually, if you're honest. Like if I said, hey, let me tell you a story. It's about two people alone in a garden, and the central antagonist is a piece of fruit. <laughs> you're bored, <laughs> right? Like, Sign me. Yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're bored, right? Um, but uh, but when you forbid the fruit, now it's interesting because mm. now how are they going to interact with the forbiddance? It's it's actually not about the fruit. It's about how much obsession a forbiddance of something can cause mm-hmm. um it's it, it and it's a common story in non in, in extra biblical literature and in totally just non-biblical literature like the, the famous example is oedipus so oedipus is this guy he sees a beautiful woman he thinks oh if i could just have her i'd feel better mm-hmm. um he it, but he doesn't know it's his mother and so and so his father um instead of being honest and saying look that's your mother um, you, you, let me be honest. I know it's going to hurt you, but that's your mother, and you can't mm-hmm. do that because she's your mother. He he just avoids the whole thing and says, "I forbid you from seeing her." Well, this creates this this forbiddance of an outside thing. So there's something outside of him that he thinks is the answer to make him more complete, and then it gets forbidden, and that raises his desire for that thing to an obsessive level. And instead of obeying his father, he kills his father so that he removes the forbiddance so he can have his mother. Only to re- not he doesn't know it's his mother. It's a whole but yeah. it, so he could have his mother, and he ends up having his mother, and um, and it ruins him. And so the idea is, is that when we put our faith in any object, any object outside of us to make us feel less lack, it always overpromises and underdelivers, And it leads us to a life where we live from one urge to the next urge, mm. to the next urge, to the next urge, to the next urge, chasing a sacred object that if, well, that one wasn't it, but maybe it's the next one. And mm. then maybe it's the next one. And that was the, that was the Adam and Eve story is, is uh, instead of repenting of their need for the sacred object, they just created another one. It was mm. the law. Hey, keep all the rules you'll feel better no yeah didn't work so when that didn't work instead of repenting they created another one they called it the holy of holies they said okay here's the thing the presence of god is the key to you feeling less lack the problem is is it's behind that curtain and no one's allowed in there it's a forbidden Mm -hmm. thing outside Mm -hmm. again following that theme Mm -hmm. and of course of course, there's no there's no record of anybody ever going in there and dying. Um, actually, there's a record of the opposite. Uh, it says in Kings that Nebuchadnezzar stole the furniture of the Holy of Holies and didn't die. Tiglath-Pileser ransacked the place and didn't die. Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes in 163 BC, he ransacked the place and spread pig's blood throughout the Holy of Holies to show it's not what they're saying. He didn't die. 63 BC, Pompey Magnus said from Rome, he said, I'm walking in there and if the God of Israel kills me, all of Rome will convert to Judaism, but if not, you're going to have to admit there's a problem. And and so despite all these evidences that the presence of God was not as forbidden as people thought. Mm. Uh, and I think that's the, one of the most basic things about the gospel is, is when Jesus died, the gospel writers say, actually the temple veil tore. It, it, it revealed mm. that the presence of God was not limited to where you thought it was limited yeah, to. Yeah. Despite all these evidences of the negative and the positive, you had prophets like Ezekiel having massive experiences with 
with the presence of God by the Kabar River in Babylon. Yeah. And yet, oh, maybe he was on to something. Maybe he wasn't. Mm. But what, what Christ does is it reveals the lie of the sacred object that, that in one sense, Jesus didn't come to fix a problem. He came to obliterate the idea there ever was one that God loved you all along. Mm. Um, if, if someone was to ask me, can you explain why Jesus matters, but you can't use forgiveness and you can't use heaven and hell? I would say Jesus is the freedom from the pursuit of external objects that promise something they never deliver. Mm. Mm. Jesus is freedom from the pursuit of the sacred object. Yeah, wow. Because, because here's the problem, right? If you, if you remove the object desire from desire, you have meaningless suffering. But if you remove all suffering and all process from desire, you have a meaningless existence. And, and that's one of the things that Jesus did that was so beautiful is he says, okay, you think the presence of God is what will solve the problem? Okay. You can't get to that except through me. Mm-hmm. So, so in Christianity, the object desire is the presence of God. The object cause is Christ. You can't get to that except through Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. But then Christianity flips the script and says, actually, Christ is the fullness of the presence of God. So Christianity is really the only religion that takes your object desire and your object cause and wraps it into one person, which creates an eternity of meaningful exploration instead of static existence. Yeah, wow. And that's mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, I'm just trying to think of how that correlates with um, just to have security mm. as people mm. and, and feeling secure and not being driven mm. by either fear or a sense of inadequacy, all mm. the things that... I think our society is very good at creating in us. Mm-hmm. Again, if, and I'm not trying to pick on marketing in the sales world or anything. We love sales people and all the rest. Sure. Um, but really there is this environment and atmosphere and, and particularly emerging generations are absolutely hammered by this 24-7, this sense of inadequacy and you're not enough and, it, and, and we wonder why kids are anxious and they're insecure and yeah. all of this stuff and and we become driven and we overwork to be rich or we overwork to prove ourselves the performance mentality that mm. drives people off the edge and destroys their marriage and destroys their you know yep. their health etc um coming to christ settles those issues so that you yep. know salvation completeness wholeness mm. actually happens in us and we're no longer driven by the need to go from Goal to goal mm. from, you know, it's great to have goals. There's mm. not a problem with that. But we recognize they don't they don't save us and no. they're never going to make us feel the way we think they might. And all too often they drive decisions that actually makes the inadequacy more pronounced. Mm. So I need the V8. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I got to have it. So you go to the car lot, right? And the car salesman goes, you need the V8, mate. You, you got to have it, right? You'll feel better. Right. So you do never late in a VA, never late. Right. So it's like, oh, man, I, I know it's eleven hundred a month, but, but it's what is your inner peace of mind worth? Mm. What is feeling mm. like you own the road worth, mate? Like, come on, you know, you, you need this. So you do that. But then 45 days later, there's another voice that says you don't have enough expendable income now. So you so the inadequacy cycle just spirals mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. of control and it just it over promises and doesn't deliver and the, and this is where the third lie of the serpent of the talking snake oh, you can master right and wrong well you can have life by mastering right and wrong well then it leads you to this cycle of doing a lot of things that aren't wrong but then they don't deliver 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it's a cycle of, well, well, none of this actually works. But Christ is the, um, it, it, the invitation of Christ to see the world how he saw it, to understand that there are a lot of good things that are outside of you, and I hope you have the grace to enjoy them. But if you're not enough without them, you'll never be enough with them. Mm. I, I, that, I think that's a good way to say it. Like, mm-hmm. like if you're single and you want to be married, I want you to find a great spouse. But if you're not enough without them, you're never going to be enough with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're a business person trying to grow your business, I want you to be worth 50 million. I do. I do. But if you're not enough without it, you're not going to be enough with it. You'll just be a $50 million richer version of a discontented self until you deal with the thing underneath the thing, underneath the thing, underneath the thing, which is, which is this inner belief that there are things outside of me that can destroy me. And and this is what changed. This is how Christ changed the world is, is every, let's just talk theology for saying every God in the Roman empire was an existent object. Mm -hmm. There's a statue in a temple somewhere and if you honored that existent object in the right way, that existent object might then act on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And this is where we got to we got to watch our motives, not our methods. Our methods are but our motives in worship. If our motive in worship is to exalt God to such a degree that he'll now act on my behalf, that is not one dime's different than ancient paganism. Mm-hmm. Actually, worship is meant to align us, cancel the white noise of our week long enough to align us with what God has been up to around us all along and invite us to engage with that, mm-hmm. which is a totally different thing. Yeah. Um, and so every God of the Roman Empire was an existent God. And so Christians in the first century, and this is true, was were killed by the Roman Emperor Trajan and the official charge was atheism Mm. the reason is is they said where does your god exist and they would say in in other words where's his temple where's his object where are people giving offerings where can we get our cut and christian was like oh no no no! our god doesn't exist our god insists our god indwells there's one spirit holding the whole thing together which fundamentally changed the roman empire because you could not then treat women worse than men blacks worse than whites poor worse than rich there's not jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female we are all one because there's one christ holding the whole thing together that changed the world but if you dumb that down to its most basic thing is christ freed the world from the pursuit of the approval of sacred objects mm-hmm. of external things that promise a freedom from lack but never deliver it yeah. wow mm-hmm. I, I think that distinction is so important too and just like <clears throat> circling back to what you're saying about um you know the, the the Roman gods being these existent things. I'm just thinking for people maybe listening to the podcast who um, I don't know, maybe haven't been on this kind of journey of faith or whatever. Mm. That explanation probably sounds exactly how God's been presented to him, uh, to them. So like, sure. there's there's somebody who's sitting on a cloud with somewhere a, else. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And we can if we pray, we can control him to do some good stuff. Correct. Um, so I think that distinction is so. And that, yeah, I, I think I think that's exactly correct, Levi. Is that is. If and nobody would do this intentionally, but if we if we present God as not one dime's different than the entire Greek and Roman pantheon, mm-hmm. how could we expect this faith to be distinctive? One, number two, to be meaningful, and number three, to be effective to change the world. If 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 we speak of God as one existent, like God does not exist, and I'm not mad at people when I when, like what they mean, what they mean is God is real and yes, amen. But when soon as you use that word exist, that's an object outside of you. That right. right. And then if you do the right rituals, that existent God might act on your behalf. Well, that's not one dime's different than anything else. Yeah. And, and, and that's the same. Again, it's not about method. It's about motive. If the motive of our worship 
is to find a connection point with an external object that makes us feel less lack. How is that any different than the Ford F-150? Mm. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. How's that any different than the jingle from the, you know, you, you know, you should be driving a Honda, like, you know, like it's <laughs> like, like that in some sense, that's a worship song mm-hmm. because, because what I mean by that is, is that that jingle, the commercial is asking you to consider a choice to ascribe worth to an external object for the purpose of you feeling less lack about your life. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that, of course, that's a worship song. It's, it's an invitation to ascribe worth to something, yeah. right? Yeah. So in our worship, if our worship is motivated by controlling God or by I'm going to do something to connect to an external object that allows me to feel less lack, that's no different than... Mm. So people say, how is God any different than that? Well, well, if it framed that way, Mm. but what if God is a creative relationship between three that is involving himself in and out of people's broken stories in this dynamic moving away in order to create a better narrative. And he's inviting us to participate in that dance in order to make the world a better place. That in that sense, God is not that which removes our lack. God is that which engages our lack with us and removes the sting of it. Mm. And that's two different things. And it's also, I mean, that's brilliant. That whole thought it's also the reality when you've walked in faith for a while. Like this is where, as you said, you can lose faith. You put your faith in that external sacred object. Ooh. It is going to let you down. It is mm. going to underdeliver, and your whole faith comes under pressure. And it's just not authentic. If anyone who's walked in faith for more than maybe ten years, I don't mm. know, some a decent amount of time. Yep. You just realize this is actually how it is. God doesn't snap his fingers at our beck and command. He does not just write things because he can. Right. He is um, He's calling us to engage yep. at the coalface and make a difference and represent him. Hmm. That is yeah. what Christianity is. That's it. The Christianity, to, to say it this way, let's put a few sentences around that. Like That is such a brilliant thought. Like, um like when the world is asking, where is God? God is asking, where's my body? Where, where, mm, are, the, mm. where are the people I empowered with the resources and energy and, 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 and time and, 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 and to, to engage these broken stories? That, that's one. Two, I think there's some language that as followers of Christ, we would, we would do well to just eradicate for about 20 years because words don't matter. How people picture words working matters. And so there's a way to say something true that creates untrue imaginations of how that works. So when we say things like, don't worry about it, God's in control. Mm. Right. In what possible way is God in control? No, I'm not mad at you. I, like, I know what you mean. What you're trying to say is, is God is actively involving himself in all of our broken stories in order to make a better narrative out of that story. If that's what you mean by control, yes, but that's not what control means. Mm. Not to us. When, when somebody says God's in control, there's a picture of this guy in the sky at a, at a universal switchboard pushing all the buttons, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I heard somebody say that once and somebody challenged him. This was in public. This was, it was meant for that. It was a discussion. And he said, oh, God's in control. And they said, what about child rape? Mm-hmm. And, and he had nowhere to go. He goes, well, that must be serving God's higher purpose somehow. Oh, yeah, crazy. And oh, like, you're going, oh my word, you, you, yeah, you, yeah. You've, you've lost. 
Yeah, you've yeah, you've, everyone. Like, you've lost everyone and and, and misrepresented God and, terribly. And, yes, and, yeah, and and then and then I I would not blame somebody if somebody was there as a seeker mm-hmm. and says I fundamentally reject Christ at this moment. Mm-hmm. I would make a case that they're the mentally healthy one. That's yeah, one that they should reject that they, image of Christ. They should reject <laughs> that image of Christ. And I would also, to that point, say they haven't rejected Christ at all. They rejected that image of Christ, yeah. mm-hmm. which is two different things. They just don't know how to say it. Mm. And so I think we would do well to to to, to say, oh. God laid down, the word is kenosis. If you're listening, kenosis is just a Greek word that means to empty yourself on purpose for the benefit of somebody else or to humble yourself. That that God, although he could control it, would rather love be the primary ethic. And so he surrenders his own ability to control to human freedom and natural law. And then by grace chooses to engage it where those things fail in order to make a better narrative out of it. Yeah. Mm. So I'm just trying to backtrack into what you just said. So you know, the simplistic view of God is in control. It is just way simplistic. It is. It ignores human human function freedom. in it, mm. the, our oh. freedom, our will. Oh. Our, so number one, it, it ignores that. Uh, it ignores natural law, as you say. Mm. Um, so if, if God's in control, if I jump off a building, I'm going to break my neck. Correct. That's just natural law. God, I can't and human freedom if you chose yeah, to jump. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I can't say God's at fault because he didn't catch me. Yeah. It's like, no, that's just how the universe works. Yes. And, um, and, and to violate course, that in that one moment would actually kill six billion people because if you, if, if you suspend gravity yeah. just long enough to save you. Low countries flood, volcanoes erupt. It's just a, it's just a <laughs> mess, yeah. yes. Incredible, yeah. Yeah. Um, Gee, sorry, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm down the rabbit you, hole. Did you have more? Because I think you said there's a few words we yeah. need to stop. Yeah, yeah. It, so, so, so God God, in God's in control. God exists. We yeah. need to end that. God is real is, is a better way to say it. Mm. Um, God is in control. A better way to say that would be um, that God is not in control, not because he can't, but because he chooses to, to let love be the primary. I'd say it this way. God is not in control, but he does care. Mm-hmm. And he's involved in the story. Yeah. He's he's co-suffering with it. Mm. But 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 some of the some of the mental hula hoops um, I've seen Christians go through, like a, a, a child dies, and the, and they're trying they're trying to bring comfort mm. to the mourner. Seriously, mm. like they're going, it's okay. It's, uh, God's got this, or mm. or God God somehow this is serving God's greater purpose. Mm. No, it's not. The death of that child, death is the enemy of God. And the beauty of it is that God ultimately defeated death and will one day wipe away all tears. But in that moment, mm. that is that is not something to try to rationalize. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we need to. St- I need we need to stop that because the, the, it it doesn't it doesn't serve uh, for a tenable faith that meets anybody's experience at all that's ever paying attention. Mm-hmm. And so you've, you've, you've got all, but, but to, to bring it back down to sacred objects and desire, if you want to experience your world as more meaningful, you have to be able to find joy in your why or in the cause or in the struggle more than you find joy in getting the final result. Yeah. So let's say you work all year and then at the end of that year, you get a giant bonus. That feels good, right? Mm. For how long? Yeah. It's going to overpromise and underdeliver unless you found so much joy in the process and in the pain and in the struggle and in the cause that 
this is just a cherry on top of that cake and amen, but that's its place. Yeah. The, the, all the joy and meaning is found in the cause, in the, in the, in, in the struggle. And in that sense, because God is not existent as an object to fix our lack, but rather engage our lack with us to remove the sting of it. In that sense, Christ is the answer for the world because nothing says common enemy of the world like people running on the hamster wheel chasing urges that overpromise and underdeliver and christ says actually if you'll let me engage this there's a higher level to live called joy and life Mm. and compassion and the results matter far less than the process to get it and that's this invitation to this finding joy every day in the ups and the downs in the mountain and the valley. Songwriters are trying to tell us this. Mm. You know, song, songwriters are the prophets. Yeah. They tell us where preaching's going in 10 years. So if you want to know what'll be preached in 10 years, just pay attention to the songs today because people will sing songs without autopsying them. Um, you know, yeah. so, so, yeah. The, so the songs being sung today, we'll be able to preach it in 10 years. Mm. And, and so if you think about what we're talking about now, there's likely some song that, that was trying to reflect this 10 years yeah. ago. And people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and I, I was just sorry. gonna jump in there real quick yeah. and just say, like, I love that thought of like, there's this greater way to live that's joy and fulfillment. Mm. And, and I guess recently we kind of talked about this around rest as well. Like, you can finally get mm. off that hamster wheel and actually, actually, like that Sabbath. Like, actually, yes. oh, I can actually find rest now because yeah. I'm not always pursuing this thing that I can never seem to. And that's maintain. that's the most basic thing around Sabbath. Sabbath is one day in seven where you admit and repent from the lie of the sacred object. Mm. It's it's uh, it's one day in seven that you realize if I didn't use my creative energies today, um, the world still goes, and so something else is making the world go around other than me, and it 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 exposes the lie of our own self importance, which ultimately destroys us because nobody can carry that pressure. Mm. This is true in every phase. Like think about attraction. There's certain words that work in attraction, but are terrible for marriage, right? Like mm. you complete me. Mm. yeah (laughs) (laughs) well that's awesome i i could never live without you wow an attraction whoa where would my life be without you wow an attraction that works in marriage it destroys it because no one can carry the weight of being the sacred object yeah right Mm -hmm. right like in attraction it's like man i want someone to think of me like that in marriage you want them carrying their own weight (laughs) right true and and if you're putting the pressure on me to make you okay i can't carry that Mm. and so the things that work with attraction don't really work in long-term relationship um limerence doesn't limerence is necessary for attraction but it's not it doesn't work in long-term relationship so limerence is the is the involuntary rush of dopamine in someone's brain when they're in the presence of somebody it's it just it's how people originally get attracted to each other you get addicted to their that's that's why that's why early in attraction you can have four-hour talks and it feels like 10 minutes yeah right but if you're married 20 years a four-hour talk sounds like hell it's like what like what what problem are we solving here so so a lot of things and the same is the same is true with people's walk with God is there is an early there's an early response to God that is almost entirely of no I won't 
commit adultery. I won't murder. I won't lie. I won't dishonor my parents. I won't bear false witness. I, and yes, amen. But once the reinforcement is someone's life from abstaining from things that destroy us, the next question is, well, now what's life about? Mm. And people who just default to the woke well, Christianity is don't doing these do things. That, yeah. it, it's just so boring and uncompelling. And, and again, it's not that we should do those things. It's actually, no, that's just the starting point. Mm. It is necessary for the beginning of the relationship, but for the relationship to thrive long-term, it has to be based on life and movement and energy Mm. and repairing and living for other people. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's what highlights like how, I guess, like we have this, this task of like restoring the beauty to some of this. Cause again, I think if you ask most people who, um, you know, wouldn't consider themselves a, a person that's on a journey of following Jesus. If they were to summarize what Christianity was about, I can guarantee ninety percent of them would be it's things that you a list of things you can't do. And we've let that be the percent. driving narrative of mm. this is what Christianity is. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then that and that's our fault because the the people the voices going Christianity is about ready fire aim, getting up every day honoring your breath taking those breaths and going, that's a gift from God. How can I use that? Mm. That's life. But then the other side is, oh, so you're saying you're okay with all this. What, how how do you get, that's Homer Simpson logic. Like, (laughs) no, you should not clearly sleep with other people's spouses because exactly because it's a waste of your breath, Mm. exactly because it's a use of your energy. That's good. Do you know how much energy it's going to take for you to hide half your life? Yeah. yeah, My goodness. That's a lot of energy that could be used for good things. And and Mm. look, if you need to stay in that phase of the relationship for 10 years until it becomes, until the word becomes flesh and it becomes a normal way to live, then amen. But at some point, life's over here Mm. it's like man like think about a professional athlete like uh, uh, like just think about golf like if if you when you're first learning you're just trying to hit the ball straight Mm. but a professional golfer can hit the ball straight every time so it gets boring so they start creating shots that force them to think right how can Mm. i right and so once once an instruction becomes a fundamental way of living and you couldn't think of living another way well, now you have to create a new cause. Mm. Like imagine, uh, uh, like just take t- take the top hundred leaders at this church, and you have it. You have a meeting with the top hundred leaders, and and what's the topic for the night? Uh, oh, we want to talk to you about not killing people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is so boring. Mm. Unless you do what Jesus did, which is, hey, you've mastered the no. H- how about using all your energies to build people up? Yeah, like it's one thing to say, I've never killed. But how's your hate? Mm. How's your lust? How's your tendency to objectify people instead of honoring the image bearer in each person? Mm. Well, that now, we're, yeah, that's a more profound, profound dynamic yeah, way of looking yeah. at it. Yeah. It's not about like just don't take life. It's actually you need to create life and right. help people to grow into life, yes. experience life. Yeah, it's one. It's one thing to say I tithe. It's another thing to say I'm actively using my resources and energy to better people who can do nothing in return. That's, That's fundamentally yeah. more yeah. profound. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, and I think we're entering to an exciting season with the church where, where there's going to be a clear liminal spaced transition from this focus to 
to this, to the why, to the, to to the cause. And that's going to ultimately free people from the pursuit of the sacred object. Because if they had language to define it, most everybody would admit I have chased it and I've caught a few. And even if they were good things, it overpromised and underdelivered. And the answer in Christ is if you see the world, how I see it, you can be fully present everywhere you are. You can be totally secure using your resources to help others, Mm. knowing that you're going to be okay. And you're going to end the goal of not feeling any lack and find the joy of the presence of God engaging that lack and removing the sting of it and knowing you can be the conduit of that message for others. Well, that would be fundamentally life-changing. Yeah. It's Cass. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why don't you print off a QR code? Uh, I don't even know how to do that myself, but print off the QR code I'll take to this podcast. Stick that QR code on your car so everyone, when you're driving around, can see it. You know what? Why are you waiting for next week's episode? Why don't you just go and lay under the stars and contemplate what tomorrow will bring? See ya. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Right. I'll put a QR code of the oh, episode. You could. Yeah. That's too fancy for me to say. I'm really bogan. <laughs> <laughs>